Well, welcome to the latest uh, airport webinar from JD Power. Um, if you'd like to introduce yourself and, and give us a little background, Kate Sullivan uh, from Philadelphia International Airport, if you'd like to give us a little brief bio. Thank you, Michael. Uh, I'm Kate Sullivan. I'm the Deputy Director of Strategic Partnerships at Philadelphia International Airport. So for us, that's marketing, guest experience, and all of that kind of includes our consumer insights practice, as well as air service development and innovation. Uh, I've been here for about three years. And before that, I was not in the airport world, uh, but I, I did work in a marketing agency. Is there a world outside of the airport world? I, I'm not really too sure. Is there? They, they kind of do that like men in black thing where they just come up to you. and just they, they like, you forget, You've forgotten everything about that world. At least maybe I have. Yeah, all gone. Okay. And Liz Moselle. So Liz, if you'd like to give us a little um, brief background of, of yourself. Sure. Hi, um, I'm Elizabeth Moselle. I'm Assistant Director of Guest Experience at Philadelphia International Airport. I've been there about two and a half years, um, which is also around when we started our program. So we are a pretty new program that's really looking at all of the things that go into what people experience of the airport. And data in particular is how we know about what their lens is on that, or one of the ways that we tell that our passengers are how, would, how they're experiencing and how they feel about it. Um, my background is in people and places and spaces in a variety of different ways, um, economic development and, and various ways where how people experience place. All right. Well, uh, you know, as a little preamble to this, um, you know, I think everybody who attends these webinars knows quite well who JD Power is and what we do. And what I like to tell our uh, clients and prospective clients is that, you know, in our benchmark study, uh, you know, one that, that hands out the award there you see in the background, uh, has about 200 questions, which sounds like an awful lot of questions, but they doesn't begin to cover everything that happens on the airport. And benchmarking is our stock and trade, and obviously it's worth quite a bit to ask the same questions uh, at every airport to see how well people are doing bag claim or check-in or the parking experience or you know, what their experience is, the gate. Uh, and our studies are, for the most part, what we call uh, in the industry transactional. We ask you about the last experience you had at the airport, or in the case of my other studies, the last time you rented a car or the last time you flew on an aircraft. Uh, and we do ask occasionally some uh, emotional or image questions, you know, the reactions to uh, how they felt about the airport, what they thought about the airport as, a, as an entity, those kinds of things. But there are questions that pop up every day from airport management uh, that aren't covered in those emotional and transactional questions that we ask at JD Power. And uh, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the things that Philadelphia Airport is doing to answer those questions. And uh, we're especially going to look at, I think, uh, in our pre-discussion, we talked about uh, looking at business cases. You know, if someone has a question, should we be doing this? Would it bring us any kind of um, higher satisfaction, higher loyalty, greater non-aeronautical revenue, those kinds of things. There are, way, there are ways to test that, especially these days with technology. And uh, Philadelphia is doing a great job with uh, what I call drill down uh, uh, research topics. So um, some of the things that I'll just, again, I'll just, you know, <laughs> recite a few of the topics and then we're going to get into about three or four of them a little bit more in depth. But uh, Philadelphia is conducting surveys uh, on TSA checkpoints and the differences among those checkpoints. Um, what services are available to passengers? And that's especially important as we get out of this COVID period and especially as we go through this uh, dearth of employees and being able to open storefronts on the airport. Uh, they also ask some questions that are kind of unusual. 
uh, for most airport circumstances is why did you choose Philadelphia? Because Philadelphia happens to be in a catchment area that where you could go to other airports like Trenton or Newark or things like that. Um, and one of the more interesting things, which we're, we're going to get more deeply into, is what's happening at the gate and what people would like to do at the gate and how those might be improved at Philadelphia Airport or any airport for that matter. And also, uh, you know, our other uh, airports that participate in our uh, passenger view uh, tool, which is what Philadelphia uses it, to get into these things, also ask about parking questions because obviously that's a major uh, revenue generator. But also Philadelphia asks about how people look at vending and what they might f feel is important at vending and what they'd like to see in vending. And then also how people use airport lounges and credit card and loyalty programs. So anyway, I, I, my first question to, to Kate and Liz um, is, you know, how does this whole process get started? I mean, tell us a little bit of how management might have uh, a need for some data and how that process starts and how you guys fill the need. Uh, for data, for management to have that data. Yeah. Um, so you actually queued it up really well for us, Michael. I mean, one of the asks is, as you heard from when we talked about our backgrounds, both Liz and I have been at the airport for about the same amount of time. And one of the big asks of us when it came to our consumer insights and when it came to our data from our management team was to get more things that our teams can take action on. Right. And so a lot of the approach that we've taken with our recent, in particular, Wi-Fi intercept surveying is to figure out what, what can we learn from this survey that we can either take action on ourselves or share with either one of our stakeholders, one of our business partners or another internal team so that they can make a decision really quickly uh, based on, on what our consumers who are actually flying through the airport are telling them. So for us, there are really four ways. That, that these surveys get started. The first is, and Liz is really great at this, we do a lot of reaching out to our team partners and especially our internal partners and asking them, what, what is it that you wanna know? Like what projects do you have on your plate right now where you think, I wish I just had this one piece of information and it would help me make a decision about whether to move forward with this project specifically or how, you know, what some of the characteristics that our customers might be looking for from this project are. Uh, in kind of that same vein, in addition to the proactive outreach, uh, if we have a business partner that we particularly want to build a relationship with, whether it's an airline uh, or whether it's one of our concessionaires, we often think, you know, what is what is it that we could find out that if we bring it to this business partner, it's going to spark a conversation or it's going to be maybe something that they didn't know or didn't have access to in terms of like the PHL passengers specifically. Uh, for us too, we are often building, as you said, business cases. Um, so sometimes we're looking at a project that's on our roadmap and we're going out and asking our customers, and, and Liz will talk about this, how big a priority it is for them or you know, what things that we could do, whether it's around a gate area or, or another initiative to make it the best possible experience or the most revenue-generating experience for our passengers. Um, and then finally, those business cases are really important to us. So again, building a case for, yes, this is something our passengers absolutely are looking for, uh, helping to figure out what our priorities are, helping to paint a picture to our leadership team, and again, helping to define some of those characteristics that will make a, a project a win for our passengers. And Liz, what's, what's your what's your process for reaching out to these folks? I mean, you, you go to cross, um, uh, function meetings? Does management bring these things? How do these things happen with you? What's, the, what's your process, part of the process? 
You know, there's a real mix. Um, a, a huge part of our work as a guest experience unit is to be sort of a convener of a lot of spokes um, and to be that voice of the customer in a lot of different areas. So we're at the table in a number of, of meetings. We, we convene a large stakeholder council meeting and it's really pretty much a regular course of business for us to be interacting both with teams internally and with external stakeholders. So the more we're able to kind of keep on the pulse of what's happening and have those conversations, it helps keep us abreast of what folks' needs are. So these external stakeholders, do, do you find that there's any reticence for them to ask questions or ask you to do something or are they more likely to ask you, you know, say, hey, we'd like to know about this? It's a, it's a real mix. Um, I think sometimes we are we tend to be more proactive um, unless someone really is specific and the folks that are more specific do tend to be more internal partners, but it depends on the nature of the relationship and the business relationship. And as Kate will talk about our vending surveys, you know, some of those there's there's a much more defined ask um, and it's based on a specific need for value. Um, and in that relationship, it was kind of a comfortable offering to do it. So we really kind of keep a lot of tools in our arsenal and react to each situation as it comes. So what are the main objectives, um, you know, that that you have for the airport? We mentioned non-aeronautical revenue. We mentioned satisfaction. But what we see the top three uh, objectives uh, for data use, uh, you know, the top three types of answers you're looking to get at Philadelphia, what, what might those be? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, like everyone, I think the, the top thing we're always trying to do is better understand our passengers, who they are, what they want from us, you know, what type of experience they're having at the airport. Um, actually, one of our biggest objectives from the data is really to build relationships with our business partners and stakeholders. So for us, you know, the data is is a tool that, again, helps us facilitate a conversation, helps us kind of think about things that we can work on together and helps us kind of build the picture of what PHL is and how they can be enhancing their services at PHL. The third piece is just having the data to make decisions um, so that you're not, you know, I think everyone works in an environment sometimes where people are taking their best guess at what the right path is for a specific project. Um, and we're trying to, you know, eliminate some of that guesswork. Uh, but I think a fourth sort of bonus way that we're using the data is we are doing a lot of benchmarking. So if we know we have a new initiative rolling out, making sure that we're measuring satisfaction around a specific point before the launch, during the launch and after the launch. So we can see, you know, has this been successful and can we make a case to expand this, this pilot initiative across the airport? So we've talked a little bit about data and sharing data. I mean, what, what physical form, what form does that take? Do you, do you give them a number? Do you give them a presentation? Does Philadelphia people they like look at graphs or do they look at numbers? You know, what's what's the actual actual mechanism? Again, it's a it's kind of a hodgepodge. So we have on meetings that we're convening or that we're asked to present in, we'll have um, more of a formal presentation, a specific key data that we think is going to be most relevant for that audience. Again, always keeping in mind of how can we show value for this group and build credibility for our new unit. Um, so that they keep coming back again and again. So we put a lot of thought into what do we present and how and why. But there are also some cases where we're going to give them one-off. You know, there are folks that I just print out a one-off report for on a monthly basis just so they can keep tabs on a particular thing that maybe wouldn't be interesting in a presentation format, but is still useful for someone. And every now and then it'll just be, here's a few bullets on, on X or Y because this is going to be useful for you. 
Okay. Well, you know, we talked about some of the topics, but I wonder if we could start with, you know, one of the things I'm particularly interested in that you're currently doing is a survey on vending and attitudes towards vending. And because it, you know, it's an interesting topic right now because obviously vending doesn't require you to hire someone and have them show up at the airport. Uh, but, you know, talk, talked a little bit about a first off, what was the premise for doing a vending survey and then how you developed the, the questions uh, and then what you're doing with it. So let's start with the, the premise. Yeah. How did this come about? Who said, hey, we should have a, an idea of what people want with vending at PHL. How did that happen? So I will say the conversation that led to us actually building this survey came out of another one of our Wi-Fi intercept surveys. So Liz had been running a, you know, what amenities are you looking for in the airport? And did you were you able to access everything that you wanted to access at the airport today? And, and we were seeing really good scores from that across the board, um, except when we actually dug into the numbers, we saw that People who were at the airport very first thing in the morning, and we have a lot of 5 a.m. flights, and people who were at the airport, you know, at the end of the day after 8 o'clock at night, those people were saying, actually, no, you know, stores were closed. I wasn't able to get the food or the drink that, that I wanted at the specific time that it was at the airport. So we started talking about that with our concessions team. And as our, and we have a, a master concessionaire marketplace at PHL, as we work with them around the idea of, you know, in putting more, vending or automated retail options behind security. We said, you know what? We're kind of taking a first run at this, right? We don't know what's gonna be most effective for our PHL passenger. So we decided this is a great survey opportunity. Let's ask, let's ask about people's comfort with vending. Let's ask about if they've used it in the airport before, when they might use it, what types of products they might wanna see. And so we sat ourselves in a room for about 45 minutes, kind of knocked out a draft of questions, um, you know, spent a tiny little bit of time cleaning it up and then sent them over to you, Michael, where he, <laughs> he fixed them and made them more researchy for us. Well, we try. Uh, so <laughs> one of the things, I'll just point out a little point is that you are, you guys were brave enough to ask about sushi in vending, which I thought was a great question. So just how hard and can 8 we- 8% of people are willing to try it. Yes, I know. It's actually, there is, you know, a decent amount yeah. of people who say, yeah, I take sushi yeah. out of a vending machine. I mean, yeah. I see that, but I thought that was a great question. So yeah, we, so, we were we were really pleasantly surprised. I mean, I think about 40% of people said they were, you know, willing to, to purchase from vending at an airport. I mean, there were a lot of the things you would expect, like three quarters of people were willing to buy drinks, more than half of people were willing to buy snacks. But we saw that, I think, I'm looking, looking at my numbers, 15% of people were willing to have hot custom coffee, 13% uh, of people were willing to have hot customized meals, 13% of people were willing to have desserts, and yeah, the, there were those 8% that were like, bring on the perishables, give me the sushi. Okay, so, um, you know, I since I happen to know some of the, about the surveys themselves, but um, you know, with the next logical step here, because mostly people uh, concentrate on food and beverage as far as vending goes, but obviously there's a lot of hardware that's sold, and I'm thinking mostly about Best Buy vending. Do you guys have any Best Buy vending machines in PHL? We we either do or did. Yes. Yeah, and you know, I, one of the things we find in the benchmark study is when people buy things, uh, it's also done by age group. They buy much different things. Millennials and younger uh, tend to buy electronics, mostly earbuds that they forgot at home so that they need for the flight or you know to listen to their iPhone or something like that. 
but are there other uh, hard uh, item, you know, non-perishable items that are being sold through vending at, at PHL? Yeah, we have a number of, of non-perishable vending machines, um, including electronics. We have makeup. Um, it's not a huge category for us. Liz, I can't think of anything else off the top of my head. Can you? And yeah, just, this, yeah. Just out of curiosity, who is, do you have like a, a major vendor for the, I mean, a manager for the vending machines or are they done individually? All of everything that we lease out that is food, beverage, retail is done through Marketplace, our master concessionaire. Okay. Um, actually, I, I don't know what the profile of the program totally looks like today, um, but uh, you know we are in the process of, based on, on some of the results of this survey, doing an outreach that will bring in a range of vending solutions. Okay. So you've got this data on vending. You know, what have you been gleaning out of it, and what have you been telling the management uh, about the data that you're finding? Because you've had this in the yeah. field for, I think, about two months now, I think. Yeah, it's been out there for a little while. Um, I mean, I think that the the thing that we've been able to build a case for is is one, people are more receptive to the idea of vending in the airport than we were expecting. Um, you know, and it's a pretty consistent, like the set of concerns that we see are, are fairly consistent. So we didn't really explicitly ask about concerns, but we do get them in, in sort of the open text field responses. Um, so, you know, the people who who maybe aren't as on board with it, their, their concerns are, oh, I want something more substantial. I don't just want a snack. Uh, there are concerns about freshness, whether that's, you know, oh, I perceive a restaurant to be more fresh or I fear what I'm going to get out of the machine. Um, some people have had experiences with vending machines not working uh, and, and not quite knowing what to do. Um, but we have seen some real enthusiasm for for like the drink sector in particular. And again, that subset of passengers who are excited about hot customized food, sort of the, the more automated retail like ramen, you know, custom pizza style um, machines that you guys are starting to see pop up all over the place. Now, are um, there any? Are there currently any hot vending machines at PHL? Because they're not very, they're very rare in America. No, so. yeah, we don't have any at all. Um, not, there may be some in, in a, a, a airline area, but but not in the past. I mean, I can tell you they're very popular in Japan, you know, yeah. to get a, a can of hot coffee, uh, which you have to be careful when you pick it up. I learned very quickly. <laughs> so, because it comes out pretty hot. Um, but it's interesting because it's stored cool and then it's heated up while it's in the machine. So you have to wait for the vending because I thought something went wrong. Um, but do, do you see, do you foresee based on the data that you're looking at that this is something that PHL would ask the master concessionaire to put in into the airport? Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, so this is, I think we had already made the decision to go down the path and this is really just informing like the outreach and what types of, of, um, you know, vendors we're ultimately considering. I did want to, we got one comment about vending at another airport. So somebody did call out that they had a great experience with a cool, nifty mineral water soda thing from McCarran, they called it. Um, so so thank you, Las Vegas, for introducing people to vending. Yeah, it's Harry Reid now, so yeah. you know, with those name changes. So uh, anyway, anybody who wants to go through a name change at an airport, it's not exactly the easiest thing. You can ask anybody at Harry Reid how that's going. So, um, so you shared this, these data with Marketplace, and and what was their reaction? Did they did they have more questions? Did they think this was great? Did they did they have some research that you know didn't jibe with yours, or you know how did they take it? 
Um, I think that the, you know, it was all positive to help influence, you know, how much of the hot stuff are we bringing in, right? Like, we don't want to go too far in that direction. There aren't that many people who who totally grasp the, the value of custom right now. Um, I think, again, it's, it's informing kind of the solicitations and, and how she's how our team is looking at them. But I'd say the door that it actually really opened up for us is now we're, we're doing more surveying um, with our concessions team. So, you know, we have a lounge RFI out, we're doing surveying around that. Um, there are a couple of other things that we're considering doing that, that now I think it's just sort of a, a, not necessarily a standard part of the practice, but a pretty consistent one. We'll, we will roll out a survey when we are looking at a new opportunity. Yeah, just to give everybody that's on the webinar here uh, some perspective, um, Philadelphia has been using Passenger View, which is the tool that we're talking about here for the Wi-Fi system, for just about a 13 months now, I think. And um, have you found that interest in the in getting different kinds of surveys in the field is growing or, you know, or is about the same in that year period? Please um, you want to take that? our interest has been growing, if I'm honest. Um, I think, you know, we've been building a, a consumer insights program from, in essence, the ground up. I mean, there were some kind of larger benchmarking surveys that we did before, but as Kate mentioned, we this move to kind of more actionable data has shifted the whole way that we want to collect information and what we want to do with it. Um, so at first, there was we were starting fairly basic, right? We were, we were asking a lot of questions, most of which we continue to ask. Um, but really keeping tabs on, are you a business or a leisure traveler? You know, how old are you, your gender? We started asking about COVID-19 vaccination pretty early. There's some things like that. And then the more comfortable we got with the tool and the more it evolved, um, we kept finding new things that, hey, we could use it for this, or hey, we could use it for that. Or we'd have one success with a survey in one format, and then we'd say, hmm, why don't we tweak it a little bit and add some different questions? So I think it's been really fun to see to see where that's gone and evolved. Um, and as we're out there talking about it more, it also means that our partners think about it more. So um, they're, they become more aware of that we have this opportunity. And, and so it sort of keeps growing and evolving as we do. Okay. So um, one of the other surveys, which I think is fascinating because um, you know, back in my career, I used to uh, be in the ad testing business, and we would get various versions of ads, you know, A, B, and C, and we'd tell the advertiser or the company, uh, usually a package of goods company, that, you know, execution C is much better than B and A. And you guys are doing something similar with gate area design. So if you could talk a little bit about, again, the genesis of, you know, uh, what was the need and how is the, you know, the data fulfilling the, you know, the need for information about what people are doing at Gates and what they what Philadelphia wants to do with Gates. Sure. This is a project I love talking about um, because, frankly, Philadelphia is an airport that hasn't done major capital improvement in a long time. Um, and so we, we knew, we know, we look around, we see that our gate areas could use a little something, right? And we identified that we wanted to do a pilot project um, that was focused around giving folks some of the amenities that they are now expecting to have when they come to the airport that maybe they weren't expecting to have back when that hold room was originally designed. But as part of that, we really wanted to take what I call a data-driven design approach. Um, and that's one where we're ensuring that the physical improvements that we make are really in line with the guest's needs and expectation. Um, 
so it's really fun and we did this we set this one up on the wi-fi intercept and we looked at it actually in concert with some targeted in-person surveying too which allowed us to have this real wealth of data to look at um, from a few different perspectives and it gave us some more qualifiers as well um, in that we were able to there's so many things that really go into how you might design that have design impact that you wouldn't think about you know everything from how much of your travelers are business or leisure um, to are they traveling alone or with other people? So think about, we learned that 50% of our folks are traveling by themselves and 27% are traveling with a group of three or more. So that has a lot of implications when you think about it, about how you might organize seating um, so that you're actually maximizing the use of it. Um, things like how long do they plan to spend in the gate area um, and how many of them want to spend time in the gate area. If you learn that like most of your people are going to be there for at least 30 minutes, you gotta have a place for them all to go and to sit. So it just helps you think about a lot of things um, that you might not otherwise. Um, we also looked at what do they wanna do while they're in the hold room? Everybody wants to get on the internet. Now look, our common logic might tell us that, but it's really helpful to actually have a data point that says so too. So it's not just your word. Um, they wanna eat and drink, also not shocking, but tells us, hey, X percentage of people really want this and that really even down to extrapolating from those numbers to actually look at what does that mean in terms of furnishings? We know that electrifying these hold rooms and giving a lot more charging is a huge push, right? Because everybody wants to be charging their devices. That was a big shift from what people didn't need before when this airport was originally designed. But even thinking about how many table services do we need because people wanna work or they wanna eat um, and things like that. One of the things that I found interesting in looking at these data, you know, because uh, you know, there's a dashboard system that shows you the update every every week, and, and eventually that's going to be uh, that frequency is going to be increased. Um, but one of the things I thought was interesting about just that point you were talking about is the things that people don't want to do anymore. Like they don't want to watch TV, they don't want to have a TV in the hold room, you know, because they're using their personal entertainment devices, as the airlines like to call them, you know, to watch and stream things and things like that. But they don't want to. They don't want that. And uh, the other things I thought was surprising, although I haven't looked at the breakdown business versus leisure traveler, is they weren't really interested in, you know, surfaces in which to work on uh, at all. So they didn't like need a table or something like that. And I thought that was a very interesting finding because that would definitely impact the design of these gates. Now, I just to get get farther into this, you guys, I believe, have plans to to mock up different types of gate concepts. And can you tell us a little bit more about that and what you're going to do uh, with those mock-ups? Sure. Um, you know, we actually have taken this data from from the from our Wi-Fi intercept survey, and then also these um, these internal uh, in-person surveying efforts, where we were able to look at some specific gates um, and start to use that to extrapolate actual seating arrangements and picking furnishings. Um, so it's been really a, a fun process of distilling down and having a, having a real strong rationale in case for making the choices that we do. Um, of course, we're also talking with partners and talking with maintenance because you don't want to do anything that maintenance isn't going to want to keep going. We're not, the data isn't the only source of how we make a decision, but it's a really great driver. And this allows us to test that. Um, and we're looking at overall satisfaction as well. We we're looking at some of those kind of more basic baselines. Um, and then after we implement the project, we'll be able to see how it looked on the other end. 
Um, so right now we are hoping, you know, we're asking for a couple handful of, hand, of uh, ugh, gate areas that are in areas of the airport that have kind of some real differences. So that's another way the data came in, right? We know that some passengers, we have a lot of low cost and ultra low cost carriers that are all concentrated in one terminal in the airport. Um, and so the way we might look at a gate there looks a little, might look a little bit different. And what we found was just like, hey, a lot more families are traveling on that way. Again, not shocking, right? But to actually have some proof that says more large groups, more families, less business travelers. So what they want over there is different. Um, so we've been working with our with our furniture vendor and working with our electrical teams and capital development and working with this data and working with the available space and, and have actually kind of started to come up with layouts that we would love to get approved and we'll present them and, and hope to get funding and then we'll test them out. Yeah, and you'll test them with this Wi-Fi, the passenger view Wi-Fi intercept process, right? Yes, and we probably will also want to do, again, some in-person surveying just because of the location specificity of some of them so that we can test lift in a specific room that has it, that had that improvement. Oh, just a housekeeping note, I should have mentioned this mm -hmm. at the top. If you've got questions, go ahead and type them into the chat. Uh, box that you've got available to you for the folks who are listening to this or watching this webinar, and and then we'll read them back at at the end. So, okay, so you've got these these gate concepts. You know, just to to give the audience an idea, like how many? What's the time frame for this? I mean, when would you expect to have, uh, you know, the next phase? What that would be? How long that would take? And then eventually, when you do design out a concept, how long is it going to take to implement at the airport? Just to give everybody a kind of a time frame. Well, that's that's our favorite question. Um, we are a city-owned airport, and there are a lot of processes, um, and there's also, again, much apart from the data and the insights, so we can be pretty pretty good and good to go there, but um, the process of working with the other teams and getting electrical, um, getting the financial improvement, um, this could be probably another year or so before it's in, in play. Would you agree, Kate? Yeah, and I think I would emphasize the, the business case part of this that we keep referring to where you know, a lot of the, the work that we're doing is to get incremental buy-in along the way for, for keeping projects moving and then you know, the specific way we want those projects to look. Okay, great. So another, another um, you know, initiative that you've got going is TSA checkpoints and looking at the differences among them and testing out certain concepts with TSA. If you guys could, again, start with the idea of how did this come about you know, what, you know, what questions did you start ask, asking? What, what is the data telling you and how are you using the data? Sure. Um, I mean, initially we thought everybody knows that the security checkpoints are one of the number one sources of stress for folks when they're traveling. And our job is to try to figure out ways that we can adjust our offerings to minimize that stress and help keep people calm so that their experience is more pleasant. So we started the TSA survey pretty early on, just to keep tabs on how it was going, um, asking pretty basic things like, uh, was it longer than you expected? Was it shorter than you expected? You know, how, how, how are the staff treating you? And we started just having those insights and being able to share uh, with our partners at TSA, kind of how if those things were moving up or down in different places, at some point, we added in a, um, some location specificity. I remember we had a lot of fun trying to figure out how do we get people yes, to remember. Yes, we did. Some conversation. Gainesville has a pretty unique out, uh, layout. We have seven security checkpoints. We're very like spread out this way. Um, so we realize a lot of people probably don't know what checkpoint they went through. 
we ask a lot of qualifying questions. What airline are you flying? What gate are you at now? Just ways of sort of whittling down to that. And that came in really, really handy um, because when it came, when we did ultimately implement a pilot project around um, wait time, the wait time management systems that have the digital display where they tell passengers that many airports already have this, but this idea that says, hey, here's what you're in for, right? If you've, if you've got pre-check, you're going to wait two minutes to get through this thing. If you've got general, you're, you're in for six. Um, and so one of the things that we found was a really useful way of using this was being able to actually dissect in the weeks leading up to that pilot launch at the particular checkpoint and then comparing it to the weeks afterwards. And we actually were able to see shifts in customers' perception of the amount of time it took them to go through the checkpoints um, before and after. And so it, were you able to detect any differences when you did these things? We were. Yeah. And that's what was so interesting. Um, after we installed it, we exceeded those customer expectations. About like 73% of the passengers that were in this particular terminal that were surveyed after it um, reported that the wait time was faster than they expected. And that was a 10-point increase from, from before. Um, that, and that's significant. I can tell you that. Yeah. That's we can't say that it, uh, this was over the holidays. I mean, I, I doubt that the actual wait time was any different, right? Mm -hmm. but yeah, the, it was the perception of it. Right. Yeah, we uh, find that to be completely true, that five minutes at TSA, yep. it seems like 10 to 15 to most people. So mm -hmm. anyway. um, The ratings kind of in the overall scale of how people felt about it were also up. Um, and we were actually also able to sing, single it out, comparing kind of to really say, yes, this is unique to just the DE checkpoint. Um, mm -hmm. We isolate it when we compare it to the lift that we see in the rest of the airport. Um, so you really start being able to isolate that this is likely the cause. And again, that just helped us to build more momentum and say, this is definitely something we want to do at all the checkpoints. Now, did you share these with uh, these data with the TSA? And what was their reaction if you did? We did. Um, they thought that was great. Okay. okay. More importantly, our senior team thought it was great. Um, I think they're also excited for the implications of what we could do with it down the line, right? When we get it, when you get it at more checkpoints, you can make management decisions and actually allocate staff differently. So there's a lot of exciting things that can come from this. Okay. Kate, is there anything you want to add on the gate? Uh, sorry, the TSA checkpoint? Uh, you covered it. Okay, great. So another a couple of interesting things because these are these are two topics that we get asked a lot um, at JD Power and it also from the airlines and from uh, from the airports themselves. But the use of lounges uh, is always been a topic, and we get asked about it constantly at JD Power. And one of the things is that when you're in a lounge, it's very difficult to do a survey with someone in a lounge because you want to get away from you know, distractions. And that's why people, one of the uh, attractions of using a lounge. So it's very difficult to do uh, lounge surveys. And of course, they are major investments, not only for the airports, but also for the airlines themselves. But you guys have got um, a survey using passenger view to talk about people's use of lounges. And then we're gonna get into another airline program. But if you could first talk again about, you know, what was the curiosity? What were the questions being asked by management or by yourselves? Uh, and then what is the data telling you? Yeah. So this was another one that came from, you know, we, we knew that we were going to issue um, a common use lounge RFI. And so we wanted to start to understand, you know, yeah, 
who are the passengers in Philadelphia who are using lounges and what are some of the things that they're thinking about around their lounge use. Um, and, and in our case, you know, we went so far as to ask kind of knowing, you know, what, what common use lounges are looking like today. You know, what, what credit cards do you have today? Um, and how much does having a lounge available influence what credit cards you have? Um, and I think, you know, with lounges, we're talking about a, a small subset of the passengers. This isn't something where, like vending, you're going to have 76% of people who are like, yes, I will absolutely get a drink from that vending machine. So, it, but it did help us kind of size the market. And we were, you know, I guess surprised pleasantly to see that that some of the, when we asked the question of how do you think about the lounge? You know, what is the role of the lounge in your travel experience for you? Uh, I think it was you know, 3% of our passengers said, you know, I research the lounges that are available to me before I make my trip. Uh, a, a similar single digit percentage. Um, but but again, I mean, when you're thinking about lounges, these are meaningful numbers said, you know, I chose the credit card that I have based on lounge access. And for us, we're seeing actually a similar number, number of passengers who report having access to more than one lounge on the trip that they're currently on. Um, so again, you know, kind of dot, you know, drilling down into that really small set of, set of passengers for whom a lounge is a priority. They are really thinking about it as part of their trip research um, and, you know, potentially making some decisions about, about you know, credit cards and other financial decisions based on what lounges are available to them. It helped us kind of dig down into that small subset of passengers and understanding you know, what cards do they have today? What loyalty programs do they belong to? You know, what audiences do we think that we're serving? And I'm, I'm not going to go a ton into the detail on, on what they actually have for credit cards and, and loyalty programs, but well, there there is a dominant airline at at <laughs> at PHL, and that does yes. I and I can see that on uh, in my research on the airline side of things, uh, that definitely is the big swing factor. You know, one yeah. of the things that that we often tell our airline people and also people in the media is that you know you you're going to choose an airline that goes where you want to go. As you know, that's one of the key things. <laughs> And uh, that also drives a lot of your usage of ancillary things like lounges and like credit cards. So, but uh, what's that? Okay. We're in a slightly different situation than a lot of airports where, you know, right. as earlier, we are in a competitive market. Um, right. And for us, looking at the role that lounges play and, and you know, people's consideration set about where they're going to fly out of is, is important to us. So anyway, then we've kind of gone through the, the big topics here. Uh, and uh, Carolyn, uh, have, has anybody typed in any questions for our group? Yes, we do have a couple of questions. So okay. um, the first one is all this survey data collected, I think all the data that you've been talking about via Wi-Fi intercept surveys? Uh, yeah, I'll I'll take that. Yes, I mean, the Wi-Fi intercept survey is uh, that the folks at PHL are using is called Passenger View. It's a product that JD Power has. And just for those of you who don't uh, haven't heard how it works, it basically anybody walking on with a, you know any kind of connected device authenticates the Wi-Fi system, gets an invite to a survey, uh, and then says yes or no. And you know it's true that the vast majority of people don't take the survey, but there's a, a percentage of people who do, which generates thousands and thousands of responses every month for Philadelphia across. I think you guys, I think I, can, I didn't count them. Uh, but I think you're probably running about six or seven different types of surveys at any one time, right? I think it's, it's somewhere in that six or seven range. That's about right, it yeah. It isn't just one survey that Philadelphia is running. It, they're, all, all these topics that we're talking about are actually current surveys and being fielded randomly. 
you know, people, um, it's one URL, it's very simple to do, um, and uh, it goes into a router. So the person doesn't know what survey they're going to be getting. Could be on lounges, could be on TSA, could be on vending machines, um, you know, or parking for that matter. So that's that's how it's done. Next, you have another question, Carol? I do, we do have two more so far. So um, for the gate concept changes or any project really, are these pre and then post type surveys or what survey design you typically implement? Well, I'll let you guys talk about it and then I'll give, give some theoretical viewpoints. Go ahead, Kater, Liz. So there are some types of metrics that would be pre and post, um, things like overall satisfaction, how people felt about it, um, how much time they spent, uh, things that really you, you would look at that you might look for a lift or a or a change. And I think part of our process right now is, is also gonna be, okay, what are the things we wanna say, here's what it was before and here's what it was after. Is there anything different we wanna ask next time around just to show the efficacy of our pilot? But then in this case, there were also things that have, that are distinctly pre um, for the project and, but honestly could be ongoing and evolving, but in that they inform some of the design decisions that you would make. Um, so things like travel party size, which also has operational implications. So no reason you would necessarily stop asking it, but it's not gonna tell you if your project was effective afterwards. So there's just a few different types of things that we would, we would ask. Um, even things like, are you traveling with kids? That may or may not impact our design decision. It might allow us to, to include some more kid-friendly features, but it also might tell us, hey, maybe we need to have a pop-up in the summer when there's way more um, people traveling with kids that does something fun with those kids in the gate area. So you never know what might come out, but we do, um, and we keep evolving it. Does that answer the question? I, I think it does. Kate, did you want to add anything? And I was going to talk about some theory. No, go ahead. Okay, great. So, you know, the when you're talking about pre and post surveys, um, you know, we have done these at JD Power with airports, mostly around signage, uh, which is a very interesting, um, you know, uh, procedure. You're going to be testing so many thousands of people on a concourse before signs and directions are changed, and then and then to ask them about their satisfaction afterwards. And we've been able to find distinctive differences among signage systems. Uh, when we do this, but you have to have a decent sample size before and a decent sample size after. And I would, I think you guys would agree that, the, you know, the the Wi-Fi intercept system that you're using for this survey passenger view is going to give you that sample size, but you do need it. Um, and it, we've found that to be, you know, highly effective in in indicating to an airport what's the best course of uh, action. And again, most of it's been most of the things that we've done in the past have around signs and directions. That's why I'm very excited to see this on a design thing, because I believe you guys are, are considering, I think three separate designs uh, that you're gonna be testing uh, on the airport. And I'm very, very excited to see what those results will be. So, Carolyn, do we have another question? We do. Um, could you potentially target the type of survey, like if someone purchased food, send them a survey re uh, regarding concessions, vending, et cetera? Well, let me answer that, that one first, because it is sort of a procedural thing. Um, the answer is yes and no. The, the no part of it is that people are going to get a random questionnaire about any something. You know, that's because we're fielding at all of our airports that we do this with um, multiple surveys at, at the same time. 
So um, you can't really generate, uh, the way it works is you can't go shift into another survey once you've gone through the router at one time, but you're going to qualify people that you could have a split survey. Um, you know, we do this for uh, people who are business travelers looking at uh, whether they're traveling for, for conventions and um, meetings that are non-sales related and then sales meetings. So you can kind of have two surveys within one, but you can't have it uh, you know, prior to. You, you can't say, yes, I'm buying food and beverage and then shift them to a completely different survey. So there's sort of a yes or no answer. Um, and you're going to get enough sample. We get enough sample on all of our uh, passenger view airports to answer those questions, no matter how we ask it. Um, I, I think the one thing is just, I don't know if the person was kind of referring to, to geolocation. Oh, um, yeah. That could be like an evolution that, that would obviously right. be And again, I don't, I don't want to go too far. That the, specific, but yeah. yeah, I don't want to go too far in the technical parts of it, but you know, there is a way to do it. It's it, it would require a lot of programming, especially with the Cisco systems that people have, mm -hmm. that we can figure out which transponder people are using in the airport and that would help. Right. But right now we just get around that by asking, what's the closest gate to you? Exactly. You know, and they answer that, and then we have a really good idea where they are in the airport. Mm -hmm. okay. All right, Carolyn. and one last question. I think it might be a little bit um, theoretical, might be different depending on you know how you're structured. Uh, there is the question of you know as there is concession data, is there opportunities for concession revenue to financially support the funding of a survey? I, 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 I ladies, you can answer that, and I'll, yeah. I have an answer for it as well. Yeah, I think that that is for your airport to decide. Um, you know, yes. we certainly partner closely with our uh, with Marketplace in a number of ways. Yeah, and I can tell you that um, we have other clients uh, using this product who are, the project is actually funded by the food, beverage, and retail, the concessionaire part of it, because they, and they ask the majority of questions, obviously, um, but it is a key factor. And I would say it's a key factor for two reasons. One is non-aeronautical revenue, of course. Um, you know, you're going to want to maximize that. And then also we found in our benchmark study that, and you guys have heard, if you've been to any of these webinars, you've heard me say this many, many times, that, you know, all the blocking and tackling, you know, the bathroom being clean and getting through TSA on a timely fashion and getting into the airport uh, from the parking lot, all that blocking and tackling, uh, a, a good airport does those things well. A great airport does all that, plus has very pleasing food, beverage, and retail. You know, our two winners this past year, uh, which were uh, Miami and uh, New Orleans, uh, also had the top scores for food, beverage, and retail. Uh, and we find that to be uh, very often paired together. So you do the blocking or tackling really well, and you've got food, beverage, and retail that does a great job. That makes you into a great airport. And I also might mention that uh, the highest ratings that, that people give uh, for Philadelphia Airport are the food, beverage, and retail programs at, at Philadelphia. So it's a real strength for PHL. Okay, I, 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 Carolyn, unless there's another question. That is it. Okay, well, I wanna thank you very much. Everyone. This is the, you know, the, you're breaking ground here. This is the first time we've actually done video, first time we've had guests. So I wanna thank Kate Sullivan and Liz Moselle uh, for the fascinating insights and uh, thank you very much. And uh, uh, we hope to see you on the next hey. webinar for JD Power. Thank you very much. If I can make, hey, one, can make one plug for as people are signing off. So if you guys are doing surveys, we would really love to partner with other airports to kind of see what are you guys seeing versus what we're seeing and potentially run some of the same surveys. Don't hesitate to reach out. Okay. Liz, do you have anything else you want to add? <laughs> okay. All right. Well, thank you very much, and we'll see you at the next webinar.